family, this is your boy Pastor Santa Camo, and it's an honor to present the main guy of the real word, my brother. What's up? This is your co-host, Ricard G. Noel. Um, thank you for joining us. This is this episode 10 of the second season. That means 35 episodes total. We thank everybody that's been watching, everybody that's been supporting, and we're here with a very special guest. Introduce yourself, sir. My name is Johannes Joseph. I uh, go to church with Ricard here. I've worked with Sandra for a little bit of time. We know each other through church. And I'm coming out here just to have a little moment and chit-chat with them and also share some knowledge with you so that everybody can elevate to the next level at the end of the show. So shout out to everybody that's been watching. Shout out to everybody that's been supporting the show. We thank you all for always watching and supporting. And if it wasn't for you guys, we wouldn't be here today. So we have a couple things lined up that we're going to talk about today. Um, Real quick, fast, I'll go over the goals that we have for the new year. So we set up goals because it's one thing to have in your mind, it's another thing to to write it down. So the goals, we have seven goals currently. The first goal is to get 100 subscribers. So I need all you guys that's been watching the show to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just put in the real word TV into YouTube. We don't have the personal channel yet because that's why we need the 100 subscribers to get the custom URL. And once we get the custom URL, then what we're going to do is we're going to print them on business cards and hand them out. So that will be a great way to promote it and a great way for you to tell your friends about the show and to get the word out. Another thing you want to do is get a 503C license so that we could be a licensed not-for-profit. That way the Real Word Ministries Division, we could do more community initiatives. We could ask for state funding to help us to help the community and do more community outreach. We, we won't always have to do the GoFundMe. We could do um, get the money straight from the government. Another thing we want to do is get more sponsors for the show because the show is growing. The more it grows, the more expensive it becomes. So if you're willing to support or you know someone that's willing to support, just let us know and we could go from there. Um, another thing is we're going to hand out business cards. We want to maximize viewership and make um, more viewers for the show. And just to let people know how important the show is and let and get feedback on the show and how we can improve. Um, we also want to increase the live call-ins and basically want to unite all professionals that can help us work and help the community. Because the more people that's involved, the better that we can do. And that's about it. That's what's up. First and foremost, I want to shout out a couple of people watching. I want to shout out Emmanuel Rimelis. Salute to you, my guy. Um, Stefan and Aknel. We already have for people watching us so far we want to say thank you thank you thank you and before we um introduce our guests i want to thank my brother man he's been very amazing to me if it wasn't for him i wouldn't be who i am today so kudos to him 100 percent. you know you always gotta um honor your predecessors you always gotta honor your um your jedi masters you always have to honor them i really believe that because if it wasn't for them we wouldn't be who we are today so kudos to this amazing man of god so tell people who is johans um <clears throat> all right i'm just this guy who just likes to stay to himself mm -hmm. no but really I, I i do have two sides to me i have my introversion where i stay to myself i stay home i lay low key and then there's the part of me where i reach out to the community through the church and I tend to show a little bit more uh, extroversion there. Yeah. I love to preach. And uh, how I ran into Sander was a couple years ago. I'm not going to say my age. He's calling me a Jedi here. Uh, <laughs> Jedi master. Um, we were working in the same church. And, and he was having a certain difference of opinion about how the ministry was supposed to function at the time. And then we had some great conversation. We got into some real talk about what happens in the street and how the word of God applies to the street and then from there seed was planted and later on it bore fruit and now he's in the ministry looking at me why I'm not a pastor but that's a different conversation yeah let me ask you that question why are you not a pastor why, I mean I have no problem you choosing the route God is using you mightily so let's let's not negate that God is using you mightily the Lord has allowed you to bring a lot of souls into the church um, you have influenced a lot of people, and I know that you're modest. You ain't gonna say, but I believe in 
the funerals don't count, spread love now, spread love now model. So tell people, I know you asked the question, why is it that you're not a pastor? When people ask you that question. The pastoral model, as I know it, and as it's been practiced inside of our faith, yeah. is that you get assigned to a particular church. Yeah. And from there, your work is for that local community, which yeah. is an amazing thing. Yeah. But a lot of the things that I've excelled at, some of the talent that God has given me, has been more of an itinerant schedule. Mm. So I've been able to preach internationally, multiple states, um, and there's talk about trying to make this thing happen on the internet. So I am a little bit more free to move, to lend my hand to different church communities, because I'm not tied and assigned to one. And I feel my calling is more about how to bring real-world scenarios into the actual ministry so that people see the application thereof, whereas a pastor may not necessarily be able to do that on an every week basis, but they're more focused on how do I shepherd that particular group and bring them to the next level. So do you think pastors nowadays are, I guess, their job is too jaded, as in they only focus on one small group or a personal agenda and not the people at large? They have a responsibility to their community. Mm -hmm. Some of them do get jaded, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but within the work of that community, there's only so much they can do, especially if they have a larger size congregation. Mm -hmm. So it's now how do you set up the proper systems to be accessible to as many? Whereas if you're an itinerant person, um, you could come into a community that doesn't know you, get the benefit of your stats, so to speak, mm -hmm. and people will listen to that fresh perspective and you're working with them for a period of time, you get the results, and then the pastor continues from there. Um, I feel that if God wants me to come and work with a specific church as a long-term basis, mm -hmm. he'll let that known to me. Mm -hmm. But right now, a lot of the vision that he's given me is on a bigger platform, bigger scale. And I'm just dealing with the building of the infrastructure right now so I could definitely do what I'm called to do. Yeah, because I feel like some pastors, they, like the people that live in the community, actually like the neighborhood around the church, they don't really know the pastors. And pastors nowadays, a lot of them, especially within our denomination they're very bougie like they're more about their status and the way that they preach and the way that they deliver sermons and they're more like pulpit pastors and not community pastors that's unfortunately the uh, institu institutional version of the pastoral ministry mm -hmm. and unfortunately a lot of our churches across many denominations have focused on the institution of being a pastor whereas if they were focused on the work of pastoring you will be able to reach more people and that end goal of being known by many will be reached but the work involved makes a lot of people uncomfortable mm. you have to have your spiritual game really mm. tight then on top of having your spiritual game tight you need to have a professional separation where you're close to your congregation mm -hmm. but you're not with the congregation mm -hmm. because you're there to provide support and answer to their problems, mm. you're not there to lean on them for support for your problems. Mm. And a lot of pastors do not get the support outside of the church. Yeah. And when they don't have that support, they blur professional lines and start to lean on their flock, and that's inappropriate. Yeah. But if they did their work correctly, they have their support on the outside, then they're able to minister and meet the needs, which is really a lot of work. Yeah, and as those needs get met, the community gets stronger and gets more vibrant and grows. But very few pastors want to do that work because it's seductive to just go for the attention. I think, I think because of the hierarchy, they lean more towards what people in other departments do to make the church look good. And then they're like, yeah, that's part of my church, I feel like. Like, say for example, I'll I, I use my church for example, you see how the youth department does a lot of community services mm -hmm. now with the help of Brother Sandra Camo, of course, but the church as a whole, it took a while for us to do that, and right. it was the youth that initiated those things, and then the older people chipped in afterwards, but why is it like that? Why didn't the older people have that same vision? The history of the church was built on the young people catching the vision, acting on the vision, making it work unfortunately a lot of individuals when they get to the elder status are more about protecting the historical achievements or, or protecting the title <laughs> that too um, it, it, that's what feeds into not just our church from our denomination but a lot of other churches are experiencing something where oh yeah back in the 90s we used to do crusades this way mm -hmm. so if we could keep that and we can keep our status 
and we could maintain the institution, mm. then we maintain our power. Wow. Whereas if you realize that power is not to be held and constrained, power is to be used and leveraged, and as you help other people increase, yeah. they bestow on you the power you were looking for. Yeah. Instead of you trying to hold on to it, and then the end, you're wearing yourself out. It's better to just redistribute it. And mm-hmm. just be like, that's why they had a, like a picture of a leader. They said there's the leaders that just stand behind and tell people mush, like the dogs, like go, go. And there's the leaders that's like the first one into battle and then he's charging with everybody else. Like, and that's the difference. Moise, is, 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 that, is that a clap or he agreed to what you're saying? That's beautiful. <laughs> Salute to you, my brother. Right on. I'm going to go say it slightly differently because I had a guy in college in, who was in the military. He said, you have dictators and aristocrats who will sit behind the comfort of a desk and issue orders for someone else to whip those ahead. Yeah, of course. But an actual leader will do something like George Washington and say, look, we have to get out of this alive. Yeah. Or like Winston Churchill, we have to have that victory. So let us move forward. And they'll do by example, say, hey, this is how we move the tank. This is how we move the planks. This is how we move the soldiers. And this is how we make it happen. And that requires getting dirty. Yeah, of course. Now the difficult part. The things that people don't want, a lot of people don't want to get dirty. That's why exactly. it's always, it's always, it's always twenty percent. It's always twenty percent. Well, if they want to do something dirty, they rather do it behind closed doors. That's a fact. That's a fact. Yeah. The thing is, um, unfortunately, you don't learn this in every degree you go to school, um, especially pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. There is a balance with working in the church and working on the church, and unfortunately, a lot of Caribbean background churches that I've worked with do not understand that from Haitian to Jamaican to Trini, wherever you want to look at it, Mm. there's a large percentage who feel that either I have to be the martyr and show the church that I got this Mm. and they burn out, Mm -hmm. or they get smart and say I need to protect my interests and have somebody else do the heavy lifting so that I look good so that you I could get other people to move forward whereas if you understood the balance there is a moment where you need to sit down with your board leaders, have a conversation, and have a vision. But before you could do that, you need a moment by yourself with God yeah, of course. to sit down and find out what the vision God has for you. Mm. Then you need to leverage the people who support you to give them an opportunity to see the vision and how it can work. Mm. Then you have to lead them into being consecrated into the vision. And then you reach out to the congregation and says, here's how we're going to get consecrated. Once we're consecrated, it's not about us anymore. It's about the community we're going to go help. How do we go teach them what we know so they can come in and get taught to do the same? And when you use that model of let's serve someone first and meet their needs, once they're inside the church, they're already indoctrinated in the go reach out. Mm -hmm. And now that community grows and grows. And at the end, everybody elevates. But if we hold on to the institutional model of point finger, judge, criticize, request them to be holy first before we could teach them, mm. it's just going to decline and decline and fall out. Before you used to have an open door policy, now I feel like it's more like a closed door policy. As in if someone comes in and they don't have on a suit and tie or like dress appropriate, forget it. you automatically scare them and you want to push them out instead of like welcoming them in and teaching them the word. Because if someone wanders in your church, that means that they're lost and they're looking for God. The sad part I'm realizing from all these years of talking to different people in the church, a lot of those folks who are supposed to welcome those who are coming in mm-hmm. are afraid to be found out lacking by having someone who could see through their BS True. and calling them on it. Yeah, because It's more comfortable to be a social group and a social clique mm-hmm. than to be actually a movement. Of course. It's funny that you should say that the Bishop T. Jake said that if you notice one thing about church, when certain people come in, they're already knowing what group they fit in. Like there's the gossipers that sit in the back, there's the people that want to be extra holy that sit in the front, there's people that sit to the side, there's people that do a lot, there's people that don't do nothing at all, there's people that just do just enough, and there's people that always want to be up. So certain groups, if, if they feel clicky together, they always go on stage. Certain groups, if they feel clicky, they only sing. Certain groups, they feel clicky, they sit all in the back where no one can see them. And like even me, like when I was first nominated elder, and then I start to see the hierarchy and how it moves. People I grew up with my whole life, I felt like they start to look at me different, and some of them moved away. And it's almost like 
I felt like the distance started to fill further and further and further. And I was like, I still felt like the same person, but maybe they looked at me different. And then even, like, I one day at lunchtime, they had a whole separate table for them with the bowls lined up, and they all <laughs> sat there together. And they was like, hey, come sit with us. You're supposed to sit, sit with us. And, 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 like, it was awkward for me because it's one thing... Because when I was younger, I used to sit with my homeboys. Then when I got older, now I sit with my wife. Now I'm part of this group. Mm-hmm. They want me to sit with them. And I'm like, ugh, now I got to pick. So, like, I'm like, I'd rather sit with my wife. Because at the end of the day and at the end of the night, she's going to be the last one I see. So let's right. just sit with them. But I didn't want to offend the elders. So what I did was I fixed the plate off of their plate, off of their table. And then I went by the regular lunch line and got something off of there. And I slid away and went to sit next to my wife. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. that's how they want it, like the hierarchy. And sometimes I'm uncomfortable with it. Like, I be in the meetings and I feel so out of place. Like, because, like my pastor said, he said I bring a balance to the to the call, they call it, right. to the body. Because there's the people that, like, are biased. They already have their set goals. They already have their set agendas, and that's what they're going to do. And it's pe- the mm-hmm. people that don't say nothing because, like you said, they're protecting their position. So right. they're just yes-men or they don't say nothing. Whatever you ask them, they're like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then they'll quote a scripture, and then they just take two steps back. And there's the people that's, like, overly aggressive, and you're just looking at them like, okay, what's going on? So, like... So, like, they throw me into the mix, and it's like, you could say something, they'll hate you for it. You could not say something, and they hate you for it. And you could just sit there, and they're like, okay, why are you in the room? Yeah. And that's how I feel sometimes. Welcome to ministry, my friend. <laughs> Welcome it's, to ministry. It's not just ministries. Even those who are affected by ministry. Um, one of the things that I had to weigh a lot as I started to move into more and more territory to preach is what's the impact on my wife? Yeah. Um, I know what it's like to be in the limelight. My father is a very well-known minister in the community. Mm-hmm. He has been... He's on every continent. He's been on every continent, essentially, to preach, except for the Arctic and the Antarctica. <laughs> yeah. So he's been everywhere. And um, there's a lot of places I come in, and it's like, oh, the son of... I was like, no, 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 I'm just, just the guy coming to spread the word. Yeah. And and they have these protocols, and depending on where you're at, different churches have different protocols. Of course. And without knowing it, you might offend someone. Yeah. And and I learned to you know adapt. And there was two times when I was humbled, so to speak, by the protocol. I was asked to MC a wedding. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first weddings I've ever MC'd, and I went through the same protocol I knew at church. You make sure you have the pastor getting his food first. Mm-hmm. You have the elders get their food first, then you have the deacons get their food first, and then you have the prominent families get their food first, mm-hmm. and by the time you're done, you're feeding the little kids. Yeah. And as soon as I got the pastor and his cohort going, this guy pulls me up, he goes, listen, I'm a very prominent elder, and you're screwing up my wedding. I was like, uh, what do you mean, your wedding? I thought it was so-and-so's wedding, and I'm the MC for that wedding. No, 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 that person is from my church. And I'm responsible for making sure protocol is followed. Mm. And I looked at the guy, I was like, hey, listen, I'm young, you're senior, I'm open. What am I doing wrong? He goes, you're forgetting the number one person you need to feed. I was like, did I miss, you know, what, a the, family member or something? The bride and groom? Did, did I, I thought the bride and groom had their own play. He goes, nah, nah, you're missing the boat. What would Jesus do in this circumstance? And I was like, good question. My God. Um, God would make sure that all of those who need food first gets food first. He goes, and who's that? I was like, brother, I'm glad you took me to the side and you schooled me. He's like, that works great in church to go with all the big wigs. Mm-hmm. But there's kids under the age of three who's been in, sitting inside that wedding for many hours who haven't had a chance to eat. Mm-hmm. There are grandparents who are there with their kids mm-hmm. and grandkids and they have sugar concerns and they didn't have a bite to eat since the morning. Yeah. They should go first. So the elderly and the children. You, you, you know what's so crazy? I want to add to that. Um, I remember I was doing a revival at Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and um, actually, that it was that um, the preachers that's coming to your church. I was at a church that did a revival, two week revival, went very successful. Baptized over thirty people, mm-hmm. very well. Amen. And basically, um, I remember they had like this big, you know how they do it. They do extravagant for pastors, but it was a, like it was like seven to eight chairs. And, you know, 
you see people online, you see the young people online, I'm like, yo, look, I'm just gonna just get, let me just get my plate, I'm just get my, just get my plate, you feel me? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get my plate here, but I'm gonna sit with the people. Mm-hmm. And I said, yo, all you guys, just come. And they're like, but no, they're like, no, they're like, but pastor, you can't, but, 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 but who preach it? Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. Yeah, let the people come and eat. Yeah. That's what it's about. You know what I'm saying? It's about you know when 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 God gives you responsibility, He gives you power. Mm-hmm. You share, you share. You know what I'm saying? And you empower the people, man. That's what it's about. But yeah, that's, that's something. That's the facts. Now, after I did that maneuver, Mercy. I changed it up. Mercy. I made sure I called the kids. Mercy. This lady, the wife of a prominent elder, wow. <laughs> comes up to me. How dare you put kids in front of me? I was like, What are you talking about? Don't you know who I am and what power I yield? I have my husband's ear. I can make sure you never MC ever again if you don't make sure my table gets to eat. Telling you. That's what she and said? That's what she said yeah. to me. And I said to her, I understand you have the power to cut my career short in your church. <laughs> However, I have access to churches from Canada all the way to Florida. I'm sure I'm going to be all right getting another MC gig. She goes, No. What you don't understand is I need to go first because I am the wife of so-and-so. And I said to her, thank you for letting me know. I will keep that in mind after I call the next table of kids to go first. She's like, you don't want to get paid. I was like, that's okay. This one is pro bono. And I called the kids up. And by the time I got all the kids fed, that's crazy. These now there's a group of really she angry said, people. She said, you like, don't want to get paid. Yeah. There's uh-huh. Angry people ready to mob the place but now that all the kids were no longer making noise and the kids were having their food and the mothers of these kids were having their food when i started calling the other tables other guys was like wait we'll let our wives and our daughters go first and we'll wait till they get their plate before you call our table again for us to go but they're smart because if they send their wives their wives are going to bring them back a plate anyways that's the other component (laughs) (laughs) but what happened was the ladies went they got for their other kids. They sat down, and then when the guys went, there was still plenty of food. Mm-hmm. And I was told by the chef that was the first time they did not run out of food before they served the kids. Because most times, guys would get the plate proportion that fits them, yeah, of course. not thinking about who else is coming afterwards. And then by the time you get to the kids, there's nothing left. Yeah. Whereas the kids, they take little portions. The women know they have to think about, well, my man is coming behind. Yeah. And before you know it, by working as a team, by working with the needs of the actual community, everybody got fed and everybody had to go back to go home. Mm. And I was invited multiple times after that to do other events because they're like, hey, you get the need. And it's not like it took anything away from my power. It didn't take anything away from my status. It just made me more sensitive to the needs of the people. And that's what they remember. They remember how I made them feel. Not you, how well that, I preached. That, that's, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Yeah. How you make people feel. That's, that's that's what it's about. I agree. That's why sometimes when, that's when I preach out, most of the time when we have community service initiatives, it's usually the day that I preach. I, I minister the word, then we do the community service afterwards. Mm-hmm. And more people are, are more appreciative of the community service. Like, a perfect example is the thing with the coats when we gave away the 300 coats. And my pastor was like, okay, okay. You can give it to people outside, but first, help your own home. I said, what do you mean? He said, make sure the elders, then the deacons, then this department, then that department, then this family, that family. Then when all the people in the church get then whatever is left over, you give to the people. And I'm like, I guess in church, that's the state of mind. Mm-hmm. But then one thing I did realize is there's people inside the church that has a need also. That's true. Who are needy, that, that's less fortunate. And we might not see it because people come to church with their best clothes, so we forget that maybe they don't have as much as the next person. And that's something yeah. that I realized too recently. Now, you open a nice parenthesis. There's a story that has marked my approach to the ministry. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I always keep in mind so it helps me stay humble. There's a particular elder. I will not mention their name because their business don't need to be out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever they came to church, they looked like a billion dollars like nobody had a better suit than that guy his wife was always next level they always got confused to be the pastor and the pastor's wife because they were that decked out Mm. and pastors used to really have an issue with them it was like you look more powerful you did it 
And one day, are you serious? This is, I mean, next level. Her hat, the rim was out to here. No other pastor wise had broader hats. Mm. Like it was serious. Her glove game was tight. That's all vanity, man. It, it, it so, was. So, so, so they felt away because of the way that they dressed. People were upset with that because these the people... The 48 Laws of Power never outshine the Master because when you do right. the Master starts to hate you and that could put you into danger. And that's where that wow. that guy was like, listen, I understand this, but I'm asserting myself so they know I'm the power broker around here. Mm. And then one day, I get approached by the lady. He's like, how come you're not talking to my daughter? I was like, uh, why would you ask me that? She's like, I, I, I feel that you're up and coming. And I want my daughter to be hooked up with somebody who's up and coming. Mm. You need to be dating my daughter. I was like, well, <laughs> you know, before I even make a move, you know, no disrespect to your beautiful daughter, but I believe that equally yoked is not just on the matching up of faith, mm. not just the matching up of cultural background, mm. and not just matching up on the fact that, you know, your daughter and I are thinking about the same acceptable church big three careers, mm. healthcare, law, and engineering. Yeah. Um, there's got to be more to this, and I need to know what kind of substance. And the lady looked offended. Mm. So I did a little bit of background check. This was before Google, so you had to do a little legwork. And that's when I uncovered something that I was like, whoa, people front seriously hard in church. Yeah. They had been evicted for four months, and they were living in their car. Wow. So when they came to church, now, I, back then, I was single, and I was, you know, thinking about my car more than I was thinking about dating, yeah, yeah. I was like, dude, you need to tell me where you got your rims from, because my car needs to look as nice as yours, mm. I found out, after church, they go home, take off the rims, tie it with the chain to the tree so nobody steals the rim, and then they live in their car all week, and then Friday night, they find somebody who is willing to let them use their place, mm. freshen up, put their nice super tight suit, put the rims back on the car, roll up to church, and now they're talking loud and beating their chest like everything's on point. Wow. Haitian people? Yeah. Wow. And I, when I found that out, I was like, you know what? There's so many games being played a because poop, people man, are a not... Approval uh, addiction is real. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if you're not able to discern what spirit someone is approaching you with... But, but, but my thing is that like, how... Like, did they get back in their feet? Did the church try to help them out at all? No, they didn't want nobody to know because it was a question of pride. And yes, they did get back on their feet, and they did eventually move on with their lives. Few, very few people know that they were living in their car for like a good eight months. Crazy. But it was just, they didn't want to lose the power that came with the appearance of mm. power. Mm. And they were the first one every time you try to do a ground movement to bring, you know, solidarity. They didn't want to have that because then what if some other person became more prominent mm. than they? And that's where a lot of the legalism that we were talking off on before we got on air comes into play. That particular family knew every single policy of the church. Yeah. They knew every single policy of the culture. Mm. And if you were out of line, mm. they were quick mm. to have you go in front of the church board. Especially if you were approaching someone that you thought you were going to talk to and get in a relationship with, mm. and they felt something was not right between the two of you. Mm. They drew you quick, fast into the church board. I mean, by throwing stones at someone else, it takes it takes the attention off of you. I think that's what a lot of people do. Yeah, yeah. You were going to say something about the book of Daniel. What was it? I did a presentation not that long ago on the first three chapters of Daniel. Uh, for those who are not familiar with that, it's this story of how Nebuchadnezzar came into Israel, took the children of Israel into captivity. Daniel and his three friends managed to elevate and win favor with the king and by the time you get to chapter 3 you're looking at the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set and he's asking everyone to bow to the statue yeah. now everybody knows the story about the three Hebrew boys and how they managed to stand up for what they believe in and they were thrown in the fire furnace they came out okay and everybody says God is the true God mm. but a lot of people missed the ramp up to that moment mm. and the focus that I took in my study is when Daniel was first brought into captivity he had the opportunity to say hey I'm in a foreign land I could blend in and I could become just like the Babylonians yeah, of but he said and the text midway through chapter 1 says and he purposed into his heart that he would not sin against God and approached the leaders saying I cannot eat of the king's meat hmm. now 
the king had said that for three years, I'm going to test these guys on my food. And if the best and brightest come through, I will spare their lives. Mm -hmm. Now, Daniel said right before the three-year period start, hey, listen, I'm cool with you. I'm going to work with you. You know, I'm your slave. I get that. And I'm going to do everything I can to be the best version of me that I could be. And I'm kind of, you know, embellishing a little bit. But the Bible says that Daniel found favor. And that means he had social capital. He knew how to get along with people of all cultures, all backgrounds. And by winning favor, and when he said, hey, I can't eat this food, it was not like, oh, I'm being defiant. He's like, look, respectfully, this doesn't work for me. I don't know this. Mm -hmm. Can you do something for me and my friends? Mm -hmm. And when the guy says, look, if I do this for you, I'm going to die, and they're going to kill me because you're not going to be as great as the others, Daniel's like, test me out for 10 days. And at the end of the 10-day trial period, they came out smarter, better than the others. And the text at the end of the chapter says, when the king tested them and found out they were 10x better than the competition, he promoted Daniel, and Daniel asked for his friends to get a promotion. Hmm. Then in chapter 2, as they're working in the king's place, king gets a vision. He doesn't realize what the vision is all about. And he's saying, look, guys, you're the best, the brightest. You know how to read the stars. You know how to make magic happen. Tell me my dream. Mm. And they're like, we can't do that. Like, what are you talking about? Nobody can be inside your head. And the king got upset and says, hey, you guys are all dead because you can't do your job. Mm. And when word came to Daniel, mm. he had the opportunity to do like what a lot of us did. A word, they're coming for me. TPS is running out and like immigration <laughs> is going to come over here. I'm out. I'm flying out. He could have just ran. You know what's so crazy? There's a lot of Haitian people that are not going to church. A lot of SDA exactly. people. They went to Canada. And, 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 and not only that too, the thing is that there's a lot of Haitian pastors that are afraid to address exactly. DACA. That are afraid mm -hmm. to um, have immigration forms. And there are a lot of opportunities to protect people. And you see, the role of the of the pastor is, of course, you have to meet the spiritual needs. Yes. But you also have to also meet the holistic needs Absolutely. as well too, which is which is sad and sickening. That is exactly what the story chapter two leads with. Well, that Daniel, when he heard, instead of running, he had enough head start. Mm. He said to the very captain of the army who was supposed to kill him. Can you give me an appointment with the king? I got to go talk to him. Yeah. And the guy says, look, I got to go out and start rounding up these people. I'm going to give you a pass. And then, you know, you got 24 hours. Wow. And Daniel presented himself without invitation to the king. He's like, king, I heard through the grapevine that you had a dream and you don't know what it's about. And I know somebody who could tell you what that is all about. Now, the king had not spoken to the three Hebrew boys or Daniel before he did the decree. And at the time when he's like, oh. So you know somebody. He's like, all right, so what do you need? He's like, I need 24 hours. I'll get back to you in the morning, and I will tell you a dream after I talk to my man God. Mm. Instead of taking that 24 hours to flee, he called his boys, and they went in as a team, as was their custom from back home, from when they were first tried with the food, and they prayed, they fasted, and God revealed to Daniel the solution. Mm. Now, this is where a lot of our church folks sometimes having issues that now that Daniel knows, the three other guys don't know anything. He goes in and says, this is what God said was the dream. The king hears it. He's happy. He remembers the dream. He's all excited. He gives Daniel a nice promotion. He says, you're going to be the prince of Babylon itself, the province of Babylon. Mm -hmm. The first thing that Daniel does as soon as he gets the promotion is the very next text. He asks to give his three friends a promotion along with him. Mm. That spirit of unity, that spirit of teamwork. That spirit of unity, that spirit of teamwork. And that's the key most word. of us, when we elevate in our community, oh, whether, forget it. We, whether we get a job, whether that's we get married right. correct, mm -hmm. or whether or not, you know, we got a break in school, we forget about where we come from. We turn our backs on the hood. It's like, yo, I'm oh, out. Oh, 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 we forget, out. oh, we forget about the people that's been good to us. Absolutely. That's a fact. He turns around and gives these guys a promotion. Mm. Now, in chapter 3, when the whole showdown takes place, one of the things that caught me in the text was that Daniel sat at the gate of the king. So he was not in the province. Mm. He was not asked to get on his knees. Mm. Now, the three got on their knees. 
And if they had done that, it would have been over. They chose when the song was sung to sit tight and stand. And it wasn't the officers of the court that caught them. It was one of their own in the audience who saw they didn't kneel who ratted them out. It was their own that snitched. And when that happened, they said to the king, look, I understand you want us to get on our knees. We're not going to be very polite about this. Um, we're, we're not going to be careful how we answer. We know who our God is. He's going to save us if he wants to. He, if he doesn't want to, we three are going to sit tight and just worship God. Mm. And we know how the story went. They got thrown in the fire furnace. God showed up. Miracle. Great. But the thing that caught me after that is the king, after he blessed the Lord and said we need to worship God, he gave all four a promotion. Now, where I was going to bring this for today is that how often do we work as a team? Mm. Not just amongst brothers, but amongst membership in the church. Mm. We're so quick to be like, oh, look at what that person did. Or did you see what that person wore? Mm. We're all playing a game of how do I out somebody else realizing that, hey, I'm pointing one finger at you. There's three pointing right back at me. Yeah. And we're quick to pick out other people's sin so we don't get exposed where if we worked on fixing our sin, we could turn around and say, hey, brother, I was struggling with this addiction, or I was struggling with this lie, or I was struggling with this other sin, and God gave me the victory. If you want to know more, I'd be more than happy to share. If you want me to pray with you, I'm more than happy to pray with you so you could continue to up your game. Mm. That spirit of teamwork we're missing. And when we look at it, okay, it's just three guys and Daniel. It's the brotherhood. But then it's another level are relationships now I know you do a lot on your social media about dating and whatnot the courtship and how to set up the mindset if we're coming into a relationship which is the foundational corner of the family which is the pillar of society itself and as the two founding members of the family we can't see eye to eye we can't work as equal then that has ripple effects into society the reason why women are struggling to find equal pay, equal opportunity in the workforce is because in the household concept, guys are like, yo, I'm the guy, I'm the head of the household, I should get the better piece of the pie, screw you. They don't say it that way, but we don't have the unity even in our own relationship. So now with that disparity with the founders, how are you going to raise children to be on equal playing field? That's real. And if you're teaching your boys... Oh, because you're a boy, you could get away with X, Y, Z. But you're a girl, you got to sit home and you got to sit tight and you got to be all strict because you're the guardian of your... No. The Bible says, I'm my brother's keeper. The man is the guardian of morality, not the woman. The guy is supposed to say, hey, because you're my sister in Christ, no guy's going to come touch you inappropriately because I got you. But our sisters are afraid of us because in the church, who's messing with them and doing them wrong? Us. But we're supposed to look out for them because we're not looking at teamwork. We're looking at zero-sum win. I get some, too bad for you. Yeah, but not a lot of girls from church date guys in church anymore and vice versa. Not a lot of men in church date women in church. Not anymore, I feel like. A lot of it stems from all the damages that we did from the lack of unity Mm -hmm. as a church body, as a group. And now the other thing that compounds it I saw you running around doing all these ladies dirty. Mm. I saw you trying to do the right thing, and I'm competing with you to get the few who did the right thing around the church. Mm. It's easier to pretend that if I go outside of the church mm. to somebody who's novel, well, they must be good because, well, of course you think that. Mm. You don't know their issue. Yeah, you don't know their background, mm. and you don't understand what came with that package. Whereas if you grew up with someone who's your friend and you didn't mess around and you didn't hurt them, you didn't abuse them, you didn't take advantage of them, when it's time for you to settle down with the mate, mm. you already know the culture, the history, the background. You know how to work with that person. Mm, but the risk is when we step outside of the faith or we step outside of the church, mm-hmm. we run into the difficulty of, but how are you really with your friends? How are you with your finance? I don't know anything. All I know is the you know, prefabricated assumption. Mm. Oh yeah, you're Adventist, if you even care about that. Mm-hmm. And then you turn around and like, oh, you go to school and you're going to be a nurse, doctor, engineer, lawyer, so that's good. And oh, you come from a similar cultural background, mm. I'm good, we're equally yoked. No, you're not. Mm. 
And it's all the other things that we take for granted that comes into play for equal yokage that we want to skip and brush aside because we're too busy looking at what's wrong with someone instead of asking the right questions like, how do I work with someone? And when you start to ask, how do I work with someone, the concept of forgiveness makes more sense. The, con the concept of tolerance makes more sense. Wow. The concept of how do we work so we grow together. Um, there's a common saying that one of my former m mentors used to say, men spend most of his single life looking for the perfect woman to marry and pray that she never change. The w single woman looks for the most potential-filled guy and spends the rest of her life trying to change him to be what she thinks he should be. Yeah. So we have this big emphasis on singles can't stay single long because, you know, they're going to fornicate if they stay single long. So we got to rush them to marriage. And as soon as they get married, we got to find some glue to keep the marriage. So we rush them to have children. Yeah. And then once they have children, well, we got to rush to get them married. So we're always rushing the timeline because we don't want to work on what actually is the foundational importance of a relationship, which is how do we work together to build heaven on earth? And how do you think we can build heaven on earth? At the end of the day. Anybody watching, if you have any comments um, or questions, just please man, drop my in. My man, says, right questions. That's right. The right questions come down to how well do I know me? And based on how well I know me, then I could start to ask the person of what's important. Example, it's a very trivial example, and it at the surface looks unimportant. What's your favorite color? The answer may be blue for the lady and red for the guy. Arbitrary colors that I'm picking here. And most people stop at that. Okay, that's cool. I know your favorite color. You don't mind? Let's move on to the next question in the dating realm. But the more important question is this. Oh, so you like blue. That's awesome. It's a very fascinating color. What does it mean to you? Mm. Now, if the woman says, oh, it's just a color. All right. So it's just a color. But if she says, this is symbolic of my success as royalty, and I intend to use that color everywhere I go to motivate me, mm. then the next question is like, so when you say you intend to use it, what color do you envision your future bedroom to be? She turns around and says, it has to be blue, no other color, because this is where I get my sense of purpose and my sense of renewal, my sense of peace, and you happen to dislike the color blue a whole heck of a lot, mm. you already know, okay, as superficial as that is, we're going to have a problem moving forward, because I despise the color blue, mm. or I really hate the color blue, I want my bedroom red, and she's saying it has to be blue. Mm. But if you skip all these right questions... You get into situations like, well, on paper, we look like we're the right couple. We got the right wedding. We got everything. And then after the honeymoon and things start to get real, it's like, I don't really know you. And I don't know why I'm with you. And in this throwaway society, that's why most relationships fail before they hit year three. Yeah. Because they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't know you wanted to have the color blue like that in the house. Or, and this is not picking on anyone in particular, mm. but... I've seen it happen too many times. I used to look cute and everything, and I held my body in check because I wanted to get a man. Now I got my man, I get rid of my fashion, I get rid of my figure, I don't go to the gym no more, I got a man, and he got to love me as I is. Him slowing down. He didn't want to slow down because he's not aware that not everybody walks at the pace of someone who's six foot two. Now, when I saw that, you know, I decided to kind of step in. I was like, lady, I am really sorry that you're having this hard time with this guy who doesn't understand that you're looking really cute tonight on a date. How about I walk a little slower with you, get you across the street, across these cobblestones, and we could walk down the sidewalk. And she turns, she goes, you do that for me? I was like, lady, I don't want you to trip and fall. There's all these cars and everything. Let me walk with you for a little bit. She goes, how about I go on a date with you instead? Now, this guy looks at me and goes, how dare you take my date off my arm? And he's ready to fight me. I was like, look, you don't want to touch this because I didn't do anything to you. I'm just helping your lady across the street so you can get on your way. Needless to say, she didn't go on the date with him. And he was left in the street arguing. And I went about my business because, you know, I don't need a girlfriend. I'm good. Mm -hmm. um, but that level of awareness, if you apply it in how you relate your partner, you know how to better ask questions. Second example, most guys, scientifically, prefer their room temperature around 73, 75 degrees. Mm -hmm. 
women a few degrees higher. Why is that? Why have women like hot water and hot temperatures, but they barely want to put any clothes on? <laughs> in the house. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm not going to touch the whole part of why they don't want to put clothes on in the house other than they like to be comfortable or the ladies on who are watching you could you know chime in and tell us why it is that it is but women biologically on average are more temperature aware of changes in temperature than guys are Yeah, we will go out and it's brick cold and it's like no nah, I'm good I'm good I'm good and it's not till we're frozen like oh man it's cold yeah. Women will be like, oh, I felt that breeze come right under the baseboard of the house. It's break out. I got to layer up. Yeah. But now a guy who's aware of that difference will say, honey, I just got this new, you know, smart thermometer. Mm. What temperature works for you? Let me know where it's at. And he'll program it so she's comfortable, but he's not hot. And that level of awareness builds on the trust, builds on the bond. But if you just want to be macho... I bought the piece of tech, I know how to run it, I'm a man, I know what's up, I like it at 68, boom, 68 it is. You're going to be fighting for years, and then you're going to be upsetting and hurting your woman for no reason, because mm. you didn't want to have the awareness to ask the right questions. Mm. And that's where a lot of people get wrong in relationships. They don't ask the right questions, and without the right questions, you can't even work as a team, because the assumptions may be wrong, because you didn't ask the right questions. That's right. Do you think there's empathy between the men and women? I think we start off with a lot of empathy, mm -hmm. but because we don't pay attention to the needs of the other and we put our needs first, mm -hmm. we start to get jaded and we wear out the empathy that the others may have and it becomes more of a contested battleground. Mm -hmm. And people who keep that up end up being divorced or separated. But if you were to nurture that empathy, you nurture that connection, it could stay in for the whole life. But it seems like it seems like the concept nowadays is is easier to quit than to keep fighting. Yeah, I mean, like if your phone don't work, you turn it in and get a new phone. Nobody wants to open it up and fix the one thing that's broken and keep their phone. Yeah. And we apply that to everything. Oh, my car got a dent. Uh, I don't like it. Let me go to the body shop. And if they can't fix it, get a new car. Yeah. Um, and then everything is so interchangeable, which is convenient for inanimate objects, but human relationships are not that way. And there's this new meme right now that I see on social media that pops up every now and again. Oh, I'm going to level up, so I can't be friends with you because you're not following me. Um, my journey is going to be different than yours. Yeah, of course. Yours is going to be different than mine. But just because I elevated doesn't mean I have to automatically get rid of you. Mm. Maybe by me elevating, I could shine a light where to go so it's easier for you to elevate. And vice versa. But no one wants to put the time. Everybody wants to have, I come in. You give me what's mine, and I'm happy and uncomfortable, and the minute that stops, you out. Mm. And when everybody has that approach, relationships do not work. And you need to have that teamwork. You need to have, okay, your point today, because this is your area of expertise. Tomorrow, I'm point, because that's my area of expertise. Example is finance. Mm. Most guys feel they should run the finance of the home. But most research shows most homes, not all, but most homes work better when the woman runs the finance. Yeah. So why can't both people sit down together and teach each other what they know about finance so that the family excels? Some families do that. Most do not. Because it's work. Nobody wants to put work. Yeah. I think that's what it is. I think when it's two separate people from two different backgrounds and trying to become one, sometimes you bump heads. I think the most important thing is willing to listen, take your time, and be patient, and don't, I guess, don't take everything to heart. Because sometimes, sometimes like, all right, men or men are more logical, like problem solvers. They see everything like, okay, I gotta fix this broken women. It's like what I was saying. Men's, no offense, ladies. Some men think, some men feel like they think with their heads, and women think with their hearts. Do you think there's truth to that? I'm gonna rely on science to answer that once I don't get in trouble with anyone. The reality is. The brain of a man and woman have a few differences, and the main one is the corpus callosum that connects the left half of the brain with the right half of the brain. Mm -hmm. On average, women's corpus callosum is thicker than that of a guy. That's basically saying a guy connects both halves of his brain with 3G, but women connect both halves of the brain with 4G. Mm -hmm. More data goes back and forth. So while they look at a situation, they can access emotional content logical content, spatial content, reasoning content, all at one, 
and they will decide based on a number of factors which way to move. Mm -hmm. And when they're with your, their men, they tend to show a little bit more of their emotions. When they're in a professional setting, they show a little bit more of their logical side. Mm -hmm. Guys tend to look at it as more transactional instead mm -hmm. of relational. Mm -hmm. And so they'll look at it, well, how can I make it look logical? Mm -hmm. And the most logical guy thing to do is like, how do I fix it? Because if you're telling me about it, something must be broke, I must fix. But that's taught. A lot of guys can learn to be emotionally driven. And a smart woman will outlogic a man to get to his emotion to get what she wants. Which is why there's a Haitian saying that uh, men are the head, women are the neck, and guys only see what the woman allows him to see. Now, if you're smart about it, you're going to say, hey, I'm the head. Let me talk with the neck and find out how the neck is feeling so I know whether or not I, today I'm going to look left or right. And if you have that teamwork working and we both bring our best side, because some women are more logical than men. But if we work as a team to bring our best together, then the team makes a decision. And the team now wins because you have the best of both worlds, which is why there's a saying in all Wall Street, I believe, a boardroom full of guys and a boardroom full of women it's going to be who hired the best talent that's going to win. Mm. But if you introduce a third boardroom of guys with one woman, it will outperform both the all-women group and the all-guy group mm. because of the diversity of thought and ideas. A woman will bring a fresher perspective that a guy will see and vice versa. And when the two perspectives come together, which is why God says man and woman come together become one whole, yeah. those two perspectives outshine outperform any one individual and that's just you can learn I mean before you got married you knew the ways of being a guy you just that's just what we knew yeah of course. but now that you're married there's certain things that you're tuned into that you didn't really know you had to be tuned in before yeah but you learn that from watching a woman mm -hmm. and if we as a church as a community taught our men some of the things that's lacking they would be a lot more empathetic they'll be a lot more understanding and we will build more solid relationships we build better homes and better homes build better communities better communities means we elevate as a whole yeah. Yo, you know what's so crazy you can't shout outs my man Miguel said that um, you're a wise man yeah thank you and um, I think um, sister Val she said Johans Joseph the true man of God preach yeah praise the Lord yeah 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 <laughs> Shout out to everybody watching. Shout out to my friend Candace. Just, just a girl I knew for over 10 years. Um, I went to see her the other day and she was like, I knew you when you were Rick. Right now you're a car Gina Well. And I, and I was laughing. She was like, yeah. She was, she, was, she was like, you're finally a man. You earned your full name. Before you, you, you were young and reckless and you was like not fully at your full potential. But now you're at your full potential. And I was like, wow. Like, Sometimes it's good to to have friends that can see the progress Amen. that you have yes. done in life, you know. But I told her like everything in transaction, everything in transition, like life mm -hmm. just forces you to grow up sometimes. And she was like, "Yeah, you're right." I'm uh, gonna piggyback on that compliment that you got. Um, a lot of guys tell me they're afraid to grow up and they're afraid to take on responsibilities such as marriage mm -hmm. because they feel that that means it's the end of their freedom and they're locked down. Now, I wanted to address that real quick because a lot of guys are disserving themselves by saying, oh, if I get married, uh, it's the old ball and chains. Mm -hmm. It's not actually that way. When you are free to express yourself with someone on a very deep spiritual, emotional, intellectual, physical level, it frees you up to do things you couldn't do before you were married. A lot of guys think, oh, I'm married, I can't play basketball. I'm married, I can't watch football. However, if you do what you need to be doing to take care of your relationship, you will find your woman will come up to you, and I've lived through this, mm. where it's like, oh, I'm doing all of this for my wife, I'm doing this for the home, I'm doing this for the... And then my wife will come up, oh, by the way, here's the remote control, your game is about to start, I got this for you. Mm. Whereas before... It was, yes, I'm solo, I'm single, but then, like, I have to remember I have to do this for myself, and I have to do laundry, I have to do that, and then I may occasionally miss a game, or I have to stay up late to watch the game, mm -hmm. but because I'm taking care of my responsibilities as a man, I have certain freedoms because I have a partner working with me. Mm -hmm. There's been times when I'm out, oh, babe, I, I know we were low on some soap, I'm going to run to the store. 
come back, she goes, oh, I, I DVR the game because I, I saw you didn't pick up the game. Mm. There's a freedom that comes by stepping to being a man. Mm. And it's not just I'm providing, but I'm also nurturing and I'm also experiencing with you. You can't do that when you're single. You could minister, you could do a lot of things, you could be a great help to the community, but there's certain freedoms that you don't have when you're solo, mm. that you get when you're with someone who supports your dreams. So to all the guys who are watching this, who is like, yo, I'm going to wait for my time to come. I don't want to give up anything. Not getting on with the program that God has for you is you giving up on a lot of blessings that's going to come because you didn't want to men up. I know of a guy who uh, gave this testimony about one of his roommates who was about to get married. And two months before the marriage, he goes, yeah, I realize, yo, if I get married, I'm not going to be able to go out to the clubs anymore. I'm not going to be able to go out to drink. So he passed up on marriage so he could go out to the club and dance and not necessarily get a date mm -hmm. and drink. And then now he's home alone saying he gave up on the best thing that ever happened to him mm -hmm. because that woman had all the vision and all the skills to help bring him up where he needed to go. And he just wanted to be a kid. And now of all that circle of friends, he's the only one who's lagging behind. But all the guys who move forward, they're like, yo, I still get to go to the club when I want to. I choose not to, but I can. My woman is not preventing me but my woman is always there picking me up when I'm down and when she's down I'm picking her up and they're moving and these are guys who were starting their career at like say you know nice starting salary of 50,000 but today because their wives are pushing them they went from 50,000 70,000 a year to now 50 70,000 a month mm. these are big hitting guys in the community because they had support so fellas, if you're of that maturity where you feel you have a good woman and God is telling you that's the woman, don't miss your shot by playing small games or hoops. Go for the big leagues, sink that three-pointer, and find out the kind of blessing that happens when you have a partner dedicated to you like you are dedicated to them. Yeah. I remember when I used to live in the basement. I used to have a room in the basement, and I used to have a driver and everything. I thought I was the man, and all my friends thought I was the man because I was the first one to live alone but then when I got married like I, I didn't think I could afford certain things you know like to still drive a nice car and have a decent place to live and still dress nice and things of that nature but God is good and now I came from the basement to living up in you know so you can't snitch it does <laughs> it does it does help you to grow you know that's a fact and, and the responsibility like the responsibility is a lot not gonna say yeah, man said Johans is the man. Johans is the man. But at the same time, God will, will never give you anything that you can't handle. And that's the fact. God will provide. You know, sometimes I was able to pay for certain bills. I didn't even know how I was gonna pay for it. Sometimes, like I'm, I might be broke, but all my bills are paid, and there's food in the fridge. You understand? Mm -hmm. Like simple things Praise like the that. Millionaire, and millionaire. I could be broke today and have money tomorrow. So I thank God for that. God always made a way. I think that's that. On that same vein, um, some people have asked me, hey, you've been married for a while, so how is it? Like, are you still being dragged down? I was like, I've never been more liberated now that I'm married, and happily so. Example, um, I had a childhood dream that one day I'm going to write a book. And as I was single, I tried my best, could never get around to writing. I was always busy. I was something messing up my schedule. I can't get around to writing. I got married ideas started to become more solid and start to make more sense. First child came in, I got the right software and I started practicing the art. Second child came in, hey, the baby effect is kicking strong, I gotta really step up and provide. I started to work with other experts to learn the art of writing a book. My third child comes along and it's like, okay, I've learned what I need to do and now I'm sleeping more hours than when I was single, I'm working more hours than when I was single, I'm playing with my kids at the time when I normally would have been playing video games mm. and I'm still cranking out chapter after chapter after chapter so that by God's grace at the end of the year I'm gonna have my first book a childhood dream that if I had not had my family in my corner cheer me on mm. I would have never had even though as a single guy I was doing a lot of things but the focus could not really emerge because they didn't have a safe place to exist and in my family that's where I had the safe place and that's where it started to exist not because on my own I didn't have safety and security, but you know, you're distracted. Whereas when you come home and you don't have to worry about, oh, do I have to date line up for the Thursday? Or how am I gonna show up at church so nobody gets all up in my business about my date? 
when you don't have all these extra distractions, now you can focus, get your man on, and you're doing what you need to do. And that's how we, now I'm in a position where soon I'm going to start to take on other young guys and start to mentor them like I did before. But now it's like, here's how it actually goes from single to where I'm at. Because I'm living it, I'm seeing it, and I got the support from my wife and all her support network that's helping me as well as my own support network. Yeah. I think I think the key word is mentoring. Like each one teach one if you're able to learn certain things and teach those that come after you, I think that's the best thing that you can do. Um, so I guess it's time to close out, right? Yep. It is. It was real. So it's a lot of information. Real quick, closing thoughts? What's Man, um, what I learned tonight is it's good to be a man of God. Absolutely. Praise From the Lord. From Johans. Johans for president. I will also want to say something to everyone who's aspiring to make something of themselves. Um, don't necessarily go listening to all the various gurus who have their own philosophy. What you need to know is that God created man in his own image. And part of being created in God's image is you have the ability to use the imagination to create any world that you want. Once you have that, you now could use that same imagination to figure out the skill set you need to fill in, team up with the right people you need to team up with, so that you have team-made success. No one comes out making a success on their own. You build on the shoulders of giants, and you build your own team network to help propel you forward. Mm -hmm. So if you take anything from tonight, take it like the three Hebrew boys and Daniel, work together as a team in a relationship with your friends, with your peers, Use the spirit of discernment and work together to elevate each other. So by the time years have passed, people look at you saying, how did you do it? And you can turn around and say, it was a team sport. Come join my team and we'll mentor you to make your own thing happen. So dream it, plan it, execute it, and let God be praised. Amen, amen. And that goes back to goal number seven, unite guests to start a team of professionals to help the community. Like I said, here's the goals for the real word this year to get 100 subscribers for the YouTube. That way we get the custom URL. Once we get the custom URL, we could get 2,000 business cards and maybe even business cards, stickers, T-shirts, put the YouTube on it and promote the brand, get sponsors for the show, get the 503C LLC not-for-profit. That way we can get government grants and we could help more people. Um, maximize viewership because viewership is important because we're giving people education, we're giving them life skills, we have different professionals speaking about different things. Um, if the show is important to you, drop us a comment, email us at therealword at gmail.com or you can hit us up in the Facebook, either me or Sanders, and just tell us how much you like the show or what you like about it, what we can approve, what we can change. Um, we could always do live more live call-ins. We're going to set up a number to give you call-ins and you know we're going to mobilize under God because it's not just about us sitting here and talking about it we're trying to go out in the community and do it the skills that I have the skills that Sanders have and the skills that the different guests that comes on the show have we're trying to do something big you know that's the end goal not just for us to be sitting here and talking but for us to help the community to help one another because regardless of what you into regardless of what you've been through you have something to contribute Nipsey Hussle said that so we could close out um, with a prayer. Okay, Before we do the one? prayer, I'm going to ask all your fans to do you guys a big favor. Now, some of you may be a little shy. I'm very camera shy. And anyone who's on this, who know me, who see me do Facebook Live, this stuff makes me super nervous. But that's a different you conversation. You nervous today. <laughs> I'm not looking at the camera. That's what it was. But here's what I want you all to do. You're watching this. If you got any value, not necessarily from what I said, but from this show, make it a goal. Once a week or once every other week, do a quick three-minute Facebook Live to shout out to your friends saying, hey, this is what I learned from this show. Take one takeaway, do a Facebook Live, then come to their page, take their link, plug it on the bottom. Let everybody you know see some of this stuff so they can see the value you got. And if you put the word out like that, they're going to hit the goal of 100 YouTube subscribers quick, fast. Don't just click like and call it a day. Do a quick shout out of what you benefit from whatever show in the archive or tonight's show then later on in that day click this the url of their show in the comment section of your live video so more people will see that and this will be a way of giving them free marketing giving them more attention and it will help spread the word of what they're doing so they can get more subscribers so you can have a better community to help you get the solutions you want out of this show amen amen 
And you can always donate at www.gofundme backslash the real word. That's www.gofundme backslash the real word. Okay, you guys wait for us? All right. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity where we got to chat. We got to talk about different things in your word. We got to pull out a few different concepts of unity and how by working together we could elevate not only ourselves, our community, but our families, our relationships, our children, our mentees. As we get off this call, make sure that all those who are in hearing will have a special blessing. Those who decide to share and also let others know about this, bless them also specifically especially so that they will feel that they've benefited from you as well as this show. But also those who have not yet tuned in, reserve a special blessing for them so when they do become aware of the show, they have that special touch blessing that will help them move forward. And as we get ready to move into the evening, into the night hours, watch our, over our sleep so that we rest well and get ready to do what we need to do tomorrow for those who work during the day. And also bless those who have to go out tonight to do their thing tonight as they keep the world turning through the overnight for those who have to do it in the day. We ask these mercies not because we're worthy, but because of His Son Jesus. Let everybody say, Amen. 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 So we thank everyone for watching tonight. I thank my co-host for always being here with us, and I thank our special guest, Johannes Joseph. And we thank you, the viewers, for always watching. Um, and that's all. See you guys next week. Next week, I think we got two special episodes for next week. We have awesome. the regular Monday, and we have a special, a very, very special guest. You know, I always keep the guests a secret, so you're going to have to tune in next week to see. Thank you. We're going to be bringing back some special people next week, and we also got a new special guest, so you'll see next week. All right? Good night, people. We love you. Tell everybody. Have them come on. It's going to be special. Mm -hmm.